This is the A. I'm Reg Clay. Normally, Norman Jean would be here, but he's celebrating his birthday. I think he is down uh, with, uh, in Southern California with family. But I have a wonderful guest, Mariana Wolf. How are you, Mariana? Hi, Reg. I'm good. <laughs> Mariana, uh, you and I know each other from the Douglas Morrison Theater. We've done a bunch of shows. Uh, Grey Gardens, I think, was our first show, and yes. we also did One Ten in the Shade. And you have been a longtime um, musical director for the DMT before they sort of switched. Um, <coughs> they, they've, uh, they've, they have new people uh, there now, and we've sort of talked about that in past episodes. And also you've been an actress as well. You uh, acted in Candide. Yes. I know you're mainly a musical director. Correct. That's, yeah. Correct. And, um, yeah, I had said to myself, you know, I wanted to get you on the show because I'm sure you have a lot of things and you can talk about your perspective from a musical director's perspective. Mm. We've had a lot of uh, uh, people. Well, like we've had like Danny Martin. I think oh, yes. you know him. Yes. And um, a couple of folks from Candide. Uh, Jay Cronengold. Yeah. Uh, um, and uh, a bunch of folks uh, who talk about uh, coming from acting from a mus- uh, musician's or a singer's perspective, actors uh, approaching music from a perspective. And I sort of wanted to touch on you as far as a how to direct or your perspective working with so many different types of people so many different types of actors mm. from your perspective yeah, <laughs> yeah but otherwise how are you doing i'm How's doing life? all right life is pretty good that, that's yeah fantastic. i've had some rough patches you know i'm in the age where the seniors get sick and mm. the seniors kind of die or they, yeah. need, they need attention so it's sort of taken me out of theater and music for a little while but yeah that's how life goes I wouldn't consider you a senior, though. I mean, I don't think Well, I just look real good, Reg. <laughs> what can I say? You do take care of yourself. <laughs> but, yeah, we've, we've had uh, uh, one good friend of mine, John Hutchinson. He's 82 years old. Oh, my. Yep. And he was telling me that uh, he, although he loves theater, his memory just isn't there. He can't retain dialogue ah, as yes. well as he can. Yes. Um, but in any case, we'll talk more about uh, with you. Uh, usually... Um, I, w- I wish my partner, my my partner in crime, Norman G, will be back next week. He's, uh, I think, it's been about a month since he's been off because he's been doing um, "As You Like It," which closed up, oh, yes. and that's been touring several different areas. And also, he's directing Dracula, but also it's his birthday, and he usually takes uh, some time off, so he's Absolutely. doing that. Absolutely, happy birthday! Yeah, happy birthday! Uh, we've had some current events. I won't touch a lot on it, but what do you think? And I ask a lot of folks about just the, the general perceptions. Um, so there's an impeachment thing going on. I guess the you know the Democrats are filing all sorts of um, um, they want to extract evidence. I guess you know they're, so they're filing a bunch of subpoenas to get uh, records and all that sort of stuff. Does it surprise you? I mean, do you have any thoughts at all about the age of Trump? Um, are you optimistic about 2020? Oh, boy. Well, you know, when uh, when the president was elected, it was pretty upsetting for me. I was excited about having the first woman president. I've got two yeah, daughters. Then so that didn't happen. Um, I, uh, I'm not super active on Facebook, but I made a commitment that my Facebook picture, no matter what was there, was going to say, not my president. Yeah, that's what it looks like. I really would like that to go away for the next election. <coughs> yeah, uh, the impeachment. I guess in one way, it it surprises me that it's taken this long. Um, I feel like he's his behavior has not been um, presidential. I appreciate the vagueness of the you know crimes and misdemeanors thing. Sure. Uh, uh, my concern is. Will this be a distraction from the election? Will it annoy enough people that they'll 
vote a certain way that maybe yeah. they would have stayed away from the polls. I mean, there are more registered Democrats and Republicans in this country. Yeah. So we just have to get people out to vote. And I actually made a commitment that uh, come next November that I want to fly to wherever there's a really important district that oh, I'm willing to right, drive yeah. people to get them to get to get them to the poll. Uh, get them to the polls. That's what I'd really like to do. Yeah, you know, I, I have a couple of friends who have gotten more. Uh, they've become activists. I mean, it's it's amazing, and I've said this before. You think people will be motivated by love or by positivity, but, you know, people are motivated by uh, negativity as well, and I think the one, if there's one good thing, there are not a lot of good things I can say about Trump. He's motivated people to get on the streets and to be active. Yes. Whether it be women, whether it be um the illegal immigrant situation, mm -hmm. uh, which is happening. I mean, I read a report that there are young girls who are detained who are uh, reaching puberty, and they don't have the, um, you know, they, they're menstruating, and there are no means to support them regarding that. It's, yeah, it's, there's so much to be outraged about, it's yeah. and you worry about feeling numb, and you think, well, what is it that I can do in my little you know, mm -hmm. uh, East Bay Bay Area bubble, which is, you know, very progressive, very sure. liberal. You know, I think hopefully a lot of us can at least uh, give resources yeah. if we have the money to help the organizations that are meaningful to us. Yeah. It's sometimes harder to devote the time based on what your mm -hmm. current commitments are. But right. hopefully we all find ways to, to do what we feel is important. Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, I think Martin Luther King had said, um, freedom is not free. Mm -hmm. You know, the cost of it is activism getting involved um, and I think it's been a great it's been a, a horrific civic lesson having Trump here because we get to see what happens when we don't vote when we become we become lethargic also it's a real lesson in in my opinion misogyny uh, mm -hmm. I had no idea how repulsed so many Americans are for having a female uh, in office I mean I didn't think Hillary was that bad and I'm seeing it now with Kamala Harris and even mm -hmm. with uh, Elizabeth Warren yes uh, which is which is horrible. I mean, did, did that did that shock you as well? Um, well, you know, I I again, I'm old enough where mm -hmm. I mean, my parents they didn't give the opportunity that I felt they could have to me. I was a very young girl in the '60s, and mm -hmm. then uh, starting to go in my teenage years in the early '70s. So I'm familiar uh, when you're sort of growing up in a time where, as a female, there were just certain roles or mm. things that you weren't supposed to do. Yeah then you just sometimes are like, oh, well, that's just my life, and these are not the opportunities mm -hmm. that are for me. Mm -hmm. And so my excitement when uh, Hillary Clinton was running, uh, regardless, you know, I understand the issues that some people had with maybe her personality or her links with great wealth or things like that. Sure, but sure. certainly very qualified. And so yeah. to see someone so qualified not be able to be voted in especially to see who was voted in, right. that's when you start thinking, oh, wow, this actually does still exist in 2016. Right, you know? exactly. And sometimes we don't realize that until something like that happens. You're mm -hmm. thinking, wow, you know, this is sort of progress, and, you know, and Hillary's doing real well. And you see just the way that Trump treats women. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not, I don't know if I'm more surprised at the tr uh, Trump or the people who support Trump. I mean, I've even had friends of mine who I thought were friends of mine, to say, well, you know, he, oh, you know, they sort of laugh at it. It's like it's a joke, and it's not really a joke anymore. I mean, uh, he's, Trump is basically saying, hey, look, I could do whatever the hell I want to do, and no one's really going to do anything about it. Mm. And it's up to us 
to say, no, that's wrong. Yes, yeah. exactly right. Yeah, yeah, well, when somebody, you know, I really hoped that the mantle of the presidency would somehow raise him, but that's not what's happened. Right. And, and someone in that position, um, it gives people permission mm -hmm. to act out the things that they were maybe thinking Oh, that's that right. normally you would say, oh, well, I know thinking that is wrong. But yeah. if our president is saying and doing these things, yeah. well, then I have permission to be racist. I have permission sure. to engage in these and Yeah, and you, and you can imagine folks at Charlottesville or even, you know, there were a couple of years ago I went into Berkeley, and I would think that Berkeley is sort of the, the haven for uh, liberal thought and progressive thought. And all of a sudden, you know, there was a rally where there were, you know um, – racist, you know, uh, right-wing folks. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, this is happening here in Berkeley. But just like what you're saying, you know, it's, uh, it's as if people are normalized. Oh, wow, the president's thinking exactly what I'm thinking. So I feel emboldened yes. to do what I want to do. Yes. In any case, let's get into an origin story. So are you born and raised here in the Bay? Yes, I actually uh, was born in Alameda, where wow. I live right now, was raised in Fremont. Okay. Um, uh, that was when Fremont was still a lot of orchards and, mm -hmm. and open land space. Of course, things have changed in the Bay Area since that time. Yeah, I was going to ask you how – I'm from the East Coast. I'm from mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. But I imagine Fremont or just Oakland – and uh, this would this would have been the 50s or the 60s, early this 60s? This is in, uh, yeah, I was born in uh, 59, so. Okay. Yeah. Was it an idyllic time? I mean, uh, what was life then, back then? Oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, idyllic. I, I don't really look back at that time and sort of really have an opinion about it, honestly. Yeah. I, just I mean, was it like the Cleavers or? Um yeah, you know, my parents are immigrants. They actually came from Germany the year oh, before wow. I was born. So English was not my first language. So. Okay. You know, when I started kindergarten, yeah. I was sort of thrown into that English pool. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Ja, ich spreche Deutsch. Yeah. Sehr gut. Yeah. Um, so uh, for me, I had, you know, certainly uh, Germany is like a Western culture, so there wasn't this big culture shock about mm -hmm. growing up. Yeah. Uh, but it just means that very early memories of school are sort of weird for me because I was still learning English. Mm. Uh, but German culture, you know, my parents are very conservative, and so I sort of also grew up in that conservative environment. I was mentioning earlier about uh, misogyny and roles sure, for women. Sure. You know, it was sort of this is I was the oldest girl. I had two younger brothers eventually, but, you know, the oldest, there's the, the burdens that you carry. Yeah. Are you, were you like the surrogate mother? When mom was not around? Uh, no. Okay, I did okay. not do that. Uh, <laughs> okay. my, my two brothers did whatever they – I mean, I did step in, I have to say. There, were there was a time, I remember, where they, <laughs> they were in the backyard. I shouldn't laugh because it's terrible. They were in the backyard with a magnifying glass torturing a caterpillar. <laughs> So okay. I go back there and I say, stop that nonsense. So that was sort of my role. Yeah. So I guess that's surrogate parenting, right? Yeah, Where yeah, you yeah. go in and say, don't do the bad thing yeah, there. Yeah. But y there was no pressure of, oh, my God, I have to do this, I have to do this. I mean, you're, it sounds like you still had a childhood. Yes. Yeah, yes, no, that's, that's true. Yeah, the pressure was more about, you know, getting A's and, and you know, behaving well and things like that. But mm -hmm. we lived on a court. And so, you know, the kids could all be out in sort of the neighborhood and play. Mm -hmm. There wasn't that sort of fear of, um, oh, you might get kidnapped or, you know, those oh, kinds good. of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. just went outside and you played. And then when it got dark, it was time to go home. Yeah, the sort of latchkey uh, kid um, sort of, I mean, I, I grew up with that as well, not having to worry mm -hmm. about that sort of stuff. So that's right, cool. Right. How did, um, you know, I asked how, how theater got into your life, but mm -hmm. it sounds like it was more music. 
Yes, music came first. Um, I started in the fifth grade. Mm -hmm. You know, elementary music was still something that happened back then. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I actually really clearly remember um, there's a little black uh, plastic instrument called a tonette. Okay. And so I started playing the tonette in the fifth grade. Yeah. uh, And then um, switched over to, well, what I really wanted to play was oboe. That was like the thing. I, I couldn't tell you why. Maybe that the fact that my parents had this, um, I think it was an RCA mm-hmm. record collection that had, you know, opera and orchestra and music oh, wow. and chamber music. And yeah. that got me excited about music. So I really wanted to play oboe. Well, oboes are expensive. Mm. And so my parents got me the next best long black thing with yeah. a reed, which was clarinet. So yeah. I actually played then clarinet. I was going to say recorder, but, uh, but no, yeah. oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then um, for theater, it was a, a middle school field trip that we took to San Francisco. And I want to, gosh, I, I want to say it was called Clue, but I don't know if that was the name of the play. It's the play where there's a um, there's two main characters. I mm-hmm. think the movie version was with Michael Caine and Laurence Olivier. Okay. And there's somebody with a mask. Clue. and Is it Clue? Okay, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I saw that in the theater, and it was just like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. The theater, that's sort of where I got excited about stage. I did my first play in junior high school mm-hmm. where I played a, a witch with a German accent. Of course, that's <laughs> the only reason I got the part because I had a killer German accent. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then high school was mostly um, uh, clarinet, but then in my junior year, we started doing these, like, uh, sort of shows mm-hmm. and reviews and so I sang, and someone was like, oh, Mariana knows how to sing. And mm-hmm. so then, you know, we did some shows uh, in high school and then sort of took a break from it after that. Just Yeah. Did Now, when did, when did you think that it would become your career instead of? Well, I wanted to do it from the beginning. Um, yeah. You know, when I graduated from high school, um, my, my parents said, well, either you can go to college and we'll pay for it or – you won't. Hmm. And I just, I really wasn't feeling like, I wasn't feeling the college vibe at that time. Sure. So I got a job. Um, I, um, I don't know how many people remember this, but the Bay Area at Winton Avenue, I think it was, or Industrial, was Amaron Pipe Factory. Hmm. So I got a job typing, you mm-hmm. know, orders for for the pipes and moved to engineering and ended up at purchasing. And so I was just working full time, moved out, got my was, apartment. Was this in the 80s? Uh, or the late, the late 70s. 70s, late Got 70s, it. early 80s. Okay. Yeah, and then I decided to go to college, really had to dance around music um, for a long time because that was still the sort of parents worrying, you know, you mm. can't make money in a music degree. You need to pick something that's mm-hmm. that's more economically feasible. Yeah. Um, but I finally did get my music degree. I, it took many, many years. I finally got it in 94, and mm-hmm. that was a vocal performance degree from what was Cal State Hayward oh, wow. at the time here in the East Bay. Yeah. How did you make, because there are a lot of friends uh, that we've had on, uh, I think of Daddy Martin, I think of Jacob Bronson, he was also on talking about how music meant to them because they had a voice and they loved to sing and they loved to be on the stage. But you made the transition into directing. Yeah. Now, where did that, how did that evolution come to be? Yeah, that was, uh, well, um, when I did my vocal performance degree, I did one more year after, which is to do prep to be a a school teacher Mm -hmm. and do music in the schools. And so you had to take conducting classes. It was just something I was really good at, and I also had a really good ear. You know, mm-hmm. part of the testing was where somebody would intentionally play a wrong note, mm. and so you would have to hear it and correct it. And then yeah. you also would have to do a little mini rehearsal with the orchestra. Yeah. 
And I was getting a lot of positive feedback from that. Well, there was a, somebody that was conducting a show at the university, and they had this, it was really a tragedy that befell them. They uh, lost their vision through macular oh, wow. degeneration. So that person called me and said, hey, can you take the show over for me? And I, I was freaked out, but also very excited. Mm -hmm. You know, again, that sort of thing where when you don't see someone who is like you doing something, mm -hmm. I didn't know any women conductors yeah. at all, whether professional or non-professional. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I'm a preparer. And so, you know, I would look at all the parts that the orchestra had to play. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of the things that people might not know is that often for musicals, you don't have a score which shows what everybody's playing. You have a reduced score. So it's oh just I kind see. of an outline of the music, and it will say, you know, trumpets are entering here and clarinets are entering there. And, yeah. um, and so I, I always would want to look at the parts very carefully to mm -hmm. see what was happening there. Yeah. Um, so that's how I really prepared. I also had people that were playing in the orchestra that I knew. Mm -hmm. So for my very first show, I could check in with them. Yeah. Does it seem like I'm doing okay? Is there something that I'm missing? Yeah. And um, I always got a lot of positive feedback. So yeah. that was my first show. What what was the show? Uh, it was um, uh, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. Uh, I see. <laughs> you know, I was watching a YouTube video, and they had a um, – I'm not sure if it was um, Wired.com or something like that, but they, it was a conductor, and he was talking about the, the – I guess the pros and cons of doing proper conducting, and he really emphasized tempo uh -huh. and timing mm -hmm. and making sure, especially when you have music scores – which change timing? Let's say it begins three four and then oh. it goes to four four right, or right. something like that, right. and just <laughs> making sure that you know you were you stayed on. And he even uh, timed himself with a metronome yes. to make sure that he was you know consistently. Now, was that some of the teaching that you had to do? Or yeah, um, you know when you are trained with conducting, um, there's you know the patterns that you learn. That's what you're talking about. Three, four. There's a certain pattern. Four, sure. four. There's a certain pattern. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, orchestral conducting that's European um, tends to have the count, the main count, be on the up. Yes. So a lot of times you'll see up conducting. Well, I learned down conducting, and right. I really like down conducting. I think Meaning it's that really when you, when you clear. Hit the one, the one it's you down. swoops down. Yes. One, two, three, yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. The training I got was picture a little box, mm -hmm. and for every count, you want to have your baton end up down in that little box, and got it just it. makes your conducting very clear. And what's nice about that is, um, you know, from show to show, you're working with different musicians. Of course, they're having to learn everybody's conducting styles sure, and sure. patterns. Yeah. But um, you also will often have subs come in. And mm -hmm. so I feel a great responsibility then to make sure that sub feels comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I'll look over and check on them. Make sure that down is really clear. Make sure the cues, mm -hmm. when is a certain group in the orchestra supposed to come in. Yeah. How to make those cues very clear. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing that I feel like I really worked on. Yeah. And that was one of my strengths. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's very fascinating, and also you're dealing with musicians who come from different backgrounds. Yes. Well, you yes. get to choose. Well, at least when you were at the Douglas Morrison Theater, you chose your musicians, yes. right? Yes. Okay, and th and I think that's important because uh, you want to make sure that they understand you know nuances. Uh, when we did, I did um, the Town Hall Theater. We did Women on the Verge of Nervous Breakdown, mm -hmm. and there was a mixture of people who understood orchestration. But they were just session. There were other people who were just session musicians, uh, like okay. they were, they played at bands or something like that. Yeah. 
Um, is it difficult to deal with musicians who come from different types of backgrounds? Um, that you know, you know I, I, I yeah. Well, I don't. I typically wouldn't know what all my musicians were doing outside of yeah. You know, if they were session players or not. Um, yeah. I mean, when you interview them, do you like? I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't know what the interview process is. Right. Or like yeah. It, well, it's is. mostly for me. It was word of mouth. I mean, I. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't interview somebody and know that they're a great player. Sure. You know, so I typically, it, you know, when I worked at the university, I would have the musicians that were just students, and mm -hmm. you, it's easy to talk to the directors of mm -hmm. those groups and say, well, who are the? You know, I'm going to do this show. Who should I hire? Sure. And so then, as I moved out into the Douglas Morrison Theater, then that's where you start trying to network musicians and keep your list and you know if somebody says well I can't play but I recommend so and so yeah you know so uh, for the most part I always really felt like I had musicians that were strong yeah that played well together um, that listened that uh, you know were, p were passionate about doing a good job mm -hmm. um, I had to fire somebody one time you know it's just ugh, you don't uh, that is well, you learn from that experience, sure, sure. you know. Yeah. Uh, it was somebody who had subbed a year before and mm -hmm. just did such a great job. And so I thought, well, I'm going to hire them for the shows a year later. Yeah. Well, it turned out he hadn't played his instrument for the whole year oh. since he had subbed. Well, that makes a big difference. Sure. And so after the first weekend, I said, you know, I'm I'm going to have to let you go. Yeah. Um, and then that's when he confessed. He hadn't been playing for a year. So yeah. Which is something he should have, you know, at least. Or if, if he, you know, the minute, like an actor, and Norman and I, we've talked about this. If an actor hasn't been around for a while, or if an actor, even worse, says, oh, I play an instrument too, mm -hmm. and they really don't. Right. <laughs> like, right. I know that I play the guitar, but I don't finger. So I'm, yes. I'm very careful in telling someone, listen, this is what my guitar skills are. I can strum, but that's about as best as it's going to get. Because you can really kill yourself. I mean, uh, a production can sort of go by the wayside if you overrepresent yourself. Oh, yeah. Well, that, you know, when uh, a music director tends to, of course, sit in on the auditions. Yeah. And so you're looking at everybody's um, resume that sure. they're submitting in the headshots. So, yeah, you do look at those little bullet points at the end where people say, oh, I know how to do this and I know how to do that. And yeah. you're absolutely right. It's so important to be very specific. Mm -hmm. For me, I have fencing background, mm -hmm. but... It's been so long, sure. you know, that I have to be very careful about how I represent that on yeah. my acting resume. Yeah. That it's just very basic. It, you know, there's so many different kinds of, mm -hmm. of combat. So this oh, is, sure. you know, foil. <laughs> it's a very specific kind yeah. of, of sword use, yeah. you know. And so. I imagine it's the same thing when a musician, if they overrepresent themselves saying they can do this, and all of a sudden you bring them in and you can't, and now you have to go through the process again of finding someone. Yes. That, that yes, it's hard. happened more than once. Yeah, yeah. and and it uh, it's almost well. I don't want to I don't want to um, lump everybody into the same box, but mm -hmm. you know I've had somebody say, "Oh yeah, I play all of these instruments." When you're playing that many instruments, how many of them can you really play well? It right. takes a lot of work to maintain uh, minimum competency on an instrument, and right. so. Uh, yeah, you want to kind of pick something, mm -hmm. represent that these are the, your main instruments. Yes. You know, because in the scores, you're going to have what's called a doubler. Mm -hmm. You know, so reed players might have to play clarinet and saxophone and barry sax and tenor sax and alto sax and yeah. oboe. And, you know, so those people are focusing on that 
mm-hmm. group of instruments, yeah. doing well at those because that's what they're going to be asked to do. If they yeah. also play guitar, if they do, do percussion, mm-hmm. they have to be very clear about how well they can yeah. do those things as well. Here's a specific question, um, and I'll get into back into your background. But I, I took a, I took when I was at NYU, I took a music theory class, sort of a, a four course credit uh, class, and they talked about there's some sheet music, there's some I guess where you have the treble clef, you have the uh, the bass clef, mm-hmm. but I guess in the earlier times there were clefs. It looked like a backward uh, three. Yeah, the C clef I think is what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, uh, violin instru- uh, string instruments will sometimes have to use that yeah. clef as and their the mi- transition. And I guess the string that goes in between the s- the uh, that middle three is the C. Yes. Um, is that still around, or oh is yeah. that that's oh yeah, oh, oh I've oh seen it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because when you talk about, let's say you bring in a, a flute player, but they may have to play clarinet, I would think, well, what's the difference if it's all the, on, on the same sheet? But it may, and there may be a difference in as far yeah, as Yeah, it makes more of a difference between, uh, for that, it would be the uh, uh, treble clef versus bass clef. Okay, you know, got it. Because the instrument might be playing higher. Sure. Uh, and that's going to be um, treble clef, or they're playing very sax, and they're going to have to go down the bass. No, okay, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what was your first job coming out of college as far as um, being a musical director? Oh, coming out of college. Well, I guess it was um, – I had already graduated, and the university was paying a stipend. So okay. Yeah, so – Oh, so it, was a, oh so it was a paying it job. It was a paying yeah. job, oh, yeah. Cool. And so I, wor- I did a lot of shows up at the university. Um, they would do one during the year typically, and then they also had a summer program that was for high school students. Okay. Um, and so from that experience at the university, my favorite show – was Guys and Dolls. I just love Guys and Dolls in mm-hmm. terms of my favorite, what I call old-timey show. Sure. My favorite, you know, more contemporary show is Sweeney Todd. But um, oh Guys yeah. and Dolls, I got to direct it. I got to music direct it, work with great kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I see them now still on Facebook, and, you know, they're involved still in theater. Mm-hmm. They're involved in music. Um, you know, some have said, yeah, that was one of the experiences that really mm-hmm. got me excited about music and theater, which nice. always is that, that's always exciting to work yeah. with young people and help light that fire under them. Yeah. So. And what company? What company did that? That was all at the Cal State. Okay. okay. Yeah. So after you left, mm-hmm. that was in the Douglas Morrison Theater. Yeah. That I, you know, honestly, I can't remember how I got that job. I feel like I was reached out to about it. Sue Nelson, Sue Ellen Nelson was the director, and that was Oliver. Uh-huh. And so that was working with a combination of kids, of course, yeah, and yeah, yeah. adults. Yeah. So, yeah. And that would have been the 90s? Yes. Okay. Yes. Very, very cool. I wanted to ask you, so there's got to be a difference between working with musicians and working with actors. Which is easier, better, or you know, which do you feel more comfortable oh, working good. with? Well, of course, you always want in a musical, your actors to be musicians as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is true, you know, uh, well, so two different levels of experience. So at the college, you know, often the direct I shouldn't say often, but sometimes the director would say, oh, I really want to cast this kid in this part. Mm-hmm. I really see them in this part. Or they're yeah. just a great dancer. They should be this part. Yeah. And then I'd say, well, but they can't sing. Yeah. Really. And so then I would have to, d- and they would get, get cast anyway. So now I'm doing really intense voice lessons mm-hmm. individually with this person. Yeah. Just which to you, try which you to help on them. Doing. Yeah. Just to kind of help them find their voice and learn how to, like, how can I figure out to get them to sing this without the whole thing, you know, 
Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would have really been very insistent if they, like, couldn't hold a tune. So sure. typically I would say, okay, I'll make it work. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then at the Douglas Morrison Theater, yeah, you have some people that can't read music at all. Mm -hmm. And so you're providing resources for them whether it's recording to learn the part, and mm -hmm. luckily nowadays those are pretty easy to do. Or oh you can sure. say everyone brings their little iPhone or whatever. They <laughs> right, they play can the part for me yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but it is really helpful to have um, actors who also know how to read music because mm -hmm. you know that they can prepare on their own and that they have a certain way of approaching mm -hmm. um, uh, the score. You know, they're familiar with it. They're not just looking at the words, learning their part. Yeah. They're looking at. Um, how their part might fit in with someone else's. You sure. know, I'm always happy to to uh, loan out the score, which shows everybody everybody's parts if they're interested. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you get that little book, yeah, um, it's really only showing you know one line. It's mm -hmm. not showing the accompaniment. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it's it's exciting for me to work with people who are. They're very good at what they do. They mm -hmm. have experience. They are musicians. Yeah. My role as music director is to just stay out of their way. Sure. You know, to maybe point out, um, like I remember specifically an incident where somebody was, uh, uh, they seemed to be struggling with phrasing. And so I could just say, well, why don't you just take a little breath here or change the phrasing, something sure. that they hadn't thought of that would help them do the physicality that they would need to do in that right. part. Right, yeah. Um, I always really like working with ensemble mm -hmm. because that's where you're trying to, you know, mm -hmm. how to how do you modify the vowels for everybody so that the sound is full and mm -hmm. and consistent, yeah. making sure all the ending T's are at the same time, mm -hmm. you know, all of that kind of stuff. How do you tell your choreographer that, yeah, it would look great to have everybody spread all over the stage for that ending number, yeah. but they would sound so good if you could just get them all in one place oh, for that sure, ending sure. number, you know. Oh, sure, sure, especially if you have one person who needs to listen to another person too. Yes. You know, like an alto who has to listen to another alto to stay on the same note. Yeah, or the, yeah. or the choreographer will say, oh, I want everybody to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then I would have to say, well, as the music director, I want to point out that X, Y, and Z is going to impact their ability to sing that phrase. So can we do X and Y? Yeah. Or is there an A, B, C that, you would, mm -hmm. that would work for you that could also support the music mm -hmm. uh, desires that I have? Because it's a team, you know, you're yeah. so you're all trying to... Uh, work together to make everybody look and sound the best that they can. Absolutely. I, w I had a debate with uh, Norman about there are singers who sort of act but not really. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are actors who they may not call themselves singers, but they can sell a song. They, mm -hmm. they can phrase or they can, you know, maybe their range isn't that great, but they really know how to present uh, a song. And a debate as far as which is better. I mean, do you have a choice? I would rather have an actor is who, that right? who can sing. I yeah. would not have predicted you <laughs> s to say that. Well, I have to say that's probably more on the musical theater side. If it were a super legitimate, uh, more legitimate style yeah. musical or opera, yeah. um, you know, that's where um, the vocal quality and all of that starts to become a little more important. But most people, you know, what I I'm trying to see if I can remember what I what I would tell people. Um, you want to sing. You want to sound as if the person can't see you, mm -hmm. right? And you want to act as if the person can't hear you. Yeah. So it's a combination as the performer, where you're using both your voice mm -hmm. and your physicality yeah. to present. Well, most of the time, people are. Um, 
it, you know, it's mostly a sighted audience. Sure. You know, again, you don't want to leave anybody out. Yeah. But that's where then I lean more towards the actor because people don't care if you don't sound that great. What they care about is does it feel genuine. Absolutely. And that's why I feel yeah. like if the actor can bring forth that 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 reality that mm -hmm. feeling of this is genuine this is real that that is more meaningful to the audience and they'll forgive the crack or the mm -hmm. you know this the sound that maybe isn't so pure and beautiful yeah you know i've uh, there have been a couple of musicals that i've seen also been in where you had a wonderful person who sings fantastic but i don't I don't have an emotional connection right, with right. what they're singing because they're they're really just focusing on the voice and maybe they're focusing on thinking wise, breathing and all that sort of stuff instead of beats and objectives and all that sort of stuff. Yes, yes. Did you focus on any of that when you were going to school, like beats and objectives and Stanislavski and any of that stuff? Well, for me, my training was all on the musical sure. pr preparation side. But yeah. of course, having interest in all of that, mm -hmm. I've done a lot of reading and um you know my uh my daughters both of them uh, uh did college theater related work oh, cool. so yeah um yeah so i'm always interested in that kind of thing um i think when you're singing a song as an actor there's also part of there's a craft part of it mm -hmm. so you have to be aware of am i on a proscenium stage am i on a thrust stage am yeah. i in the round like like what are the what are the things that I can do physically to now show that there's a new thought that's come into my mind? Yeah, and so sometimes I would work with the actor mm -hmm. and just sort of focus on, well, just let's just look at that craft part. Like, what can you just physically do? Yeah, and those kinds of things are teachable, I think certainly. Yeah, and I was thinking as an actor, especially when I look at a score and I'm singing, what are my motivations? Where are my emotional? Let's say if I'm too emotional, I'm not, you know, because I need to think about breath mm -hmm. you know, that sort of stuff. And, and as a matter of fact, when I got back into musical theater instead of doing regular theater, I had to really think about I've got to support my breath. I've got to fix, focus on taking my breath and not getting so caught up emotionally in the song that I can't sing the song. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's what the rehearsal process is for, right? right? So that you can sort of figure all those things out. Um, but that's also where it shows you that's where you find when uh, the person who wrote the musical mm -hmm. either really knew what they were doing oh, or sure. really didn't. Because yeah. sometimes there there feels like there's an emotional arc to the to the song yeah. that the musical phrasing doesn't align with. Oh, interesting. And so yeah. how do you work through that? You mm -hmm. know, if the phrasing of the music doesn't allow you to mm -hmm. take those breaths or, or, or put those beats in that you'd sure. really like, that's then, you know, where you have to have those conversations with the director. Yeah. Now, for me as music music director, I always feel like my job is to prepare the singer and bring a specific choice yeah. to the director. Mm -hmm. The director is the one that's going to finally work with that mm -hmm. actor to say, that's a choice I like, we're going to go with it, or let's right. look at some different choices. And then if there's something that I'm observing on the craft side sure. that will help adjust making that those choices mm -hmm. possible then i'll jump in and say something yeah now in working with the dmt the douglas morrison theater you collaborate i think a lot with pamela hicks um yes. and how's it been working with her or just with a vocal coach oh well it, yeah uh, i don't always have the luxury of having a vocal coach and pam is fabulous she is so she really knowledgeable is. um just a great person yeah. to be around yeah. um, always giving out information in a way that's to the point and meaningful and not 
uh, doesn't come across as mean or you right, know right. Oh, yeah. downputting. Yeah, yeah th that is such a luxury to have somebody who just knows the voice so well mm -hmm. and can help doing all that prep, yeah. which then allows me to sort of you know mm -hmm. step aside and have my brain energy on on other things. Yeah, no, no, no. She's fantastic. So it sounds like um, when you know putting everything and also collaborating with a vocal coach, but also with the director. I mean, mm -hmm. are there times where you would clash with the director? Let's say the director wants you know, to wants the actor to do something. Let's say it's a blocking, or let's say it's dancing, or something like that, while something is being sung. Or let's say, um, have you had any clashes with the uh, director Well, at all? I wouldn't say clashes. You know, I feel like uh, – uh, Almost all the time when we're all there, mm -hmm. we all know that we're working together as a right. team. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, at the DMT, it's sort of an odd uh, – uh, there's not really a pit, right? The orchestra is very oh, visible, right? right? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, sometimes with staging, you'll just have to remind the director that, you know, there's an important cue, musical cue that's coming up here. Yeah. And it would be really helpful <coughs> if the actor can be – uh, mm -hmm. uh, turned at least, that's or right. you know, what flexibility can we have there so that they can see their cues? That's right. Yeah, and not only that, but the, the actor has to cue. There's sometimes there's a line or something that the actor does that cues cues you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so sometimes there's those uh, conversations about adjustments. For me, it's mostly been more about choreography, mm -hmm. where um, you know it's very hard to to dance a lot and be sure. singing at the same time. Yeah. And and every uh, you know each actor has its own stamina. Mm -hmm. So for some people it's not an issue. You know I always remember this great story of Dame Joan Sutherland when she was doing this crazy mad singing scene mm -hmm. uh, and the director realized, oh, she could still sing the amazing way that she can while running around like crazy. And mm -hmm. so he let her do that in this filmed version while another singer might not be able to physically run around like crazy and still yeah. have that same vocal quality. Right. And so when you're observing <coughs> that in rehearsal, then you talk with a choreographer and say, yeah. well, you know, what adjustments here can we make? Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, sometimes a choreographer wants everybody to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So depending on the size of the group, I might suggest, well, is it possible that, you know, one third of the group can be doing something that's more mm -hmm. um, calm and less um, physically active so sure. that you're still seeing that activity that you envision, but that we've got now some singers who have mm -hmm. that ability to just kind of stand and sing and support vocally more while the other people who are doing the more physically active yeah. things can Yeah, it sounds like you're advocating well. for the actor as a singer yes. where the director may not be thinking you know, on the, along those lines. Yeah, well, everybody has their sort of niche, right, that sure. they're focusing on. And so that's where you have to have those conversations mm -hmm. across those different disciplines yeah. so that – Everybody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> right. As you were talking about having to run and physically move and sing at the same time, I'm thinking I have flashbacks of one time in the shade where I had to sort of do a lot of that as Bill Starbuck. But, you know, it was a it was an interesting experience. It was, it was you know, a learning experience. Yeah, no, uh, I, I wanted to share with you, Reg, I learned something so important for me uh -huh. working with you on 110 in the shade. And I don't know if you're going to remember this, but there was one little musical phrase in that show that we were just having a hard time uh -huh. getting lined up. And uh, I can't remember when in the rehearsal process it was, but there was frustration between you and I. Uh -huh. And it made me realize that you can be 
you can have it wasn't like we were arguing but it was like yeah. you can be passionate about something mm -hmm. and that that's a good thing it's because we both care so much because i was always intimidated it may have been a, di it may have been a dialogue i mean it may, I, I may have been singing to lizzie i i think it's it's fuzzy but but go ahead yeah, no, I was just thinking that because being in an argument or having a mm -hmm. confrontational kind of discussion had been something that was always intimidating to me. Mm. And that experience made me realize, why am I intimidated? This is about me caring about something sure. and you caring Carry, mm -hmm. uh, caring so much about yeah. something yeah. and that that's a good thing Absolutely. and so I want to, I'm grateful to have <laughs> had that experience with you yeah you know uh, 110 I'll just share this real quick but there were a lot of uh, I mean 110 was a wonderful experience I wish that my um, the the I, th I think that I have problems with the, co with the, uh, the actress and I'm used to um, being from an actor especially doing drama doing like um uh, what do they call it? Uh, like um, speed readings and like mm. bonding, you know, with 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 actors, especially with my scene oh, partner, right, right, yeah. to create you know a sort of uh, connection, uh, mm -hmm. a deeper connection. And we really didn't have that. I think uh, the actress who was um, playing next to me, I think she had just come out of school, and there were just ways that which she worked, which is different from the way that I worked, and oh, that caused okay. a lot of things. Mm. And unfortunately, when you have so many people that you're working with, like I'm connecting with the director, with you, the musical director, with an actor, and sometimes you don't have the time to work out issues which may be very um, intangible, something mm. that's has nothing to do with the work itself but other things. Oh, right. And, yes. uh, and I'm sure you've dealt with that. Like, have you dealt with working with actors who, let's say, don't get along with each other or they're outside elements? I mean, you're not you're not hired to be a counselor. <laughs> <laughs> you're not yes. hired to but be, you know, yeah. No, you bring up a good point, which is, you know, people are humans and yes. they have lives outside of that theatrical experience. You know, right. my experience with community theater, even though I don't say that in a demeaning way, I think especially in the Bay Area, mm -hmm. uh, community theater always seems to strive to be as professional and, and good as it possibly can be. Yeah. But we have lives outside of that time, and mm -hmm. sometimes that can spill over yeah. into that environment. Yeah, I, I somehow have not been sort of pulled into that i've heard from stage managers you mm -hmm. know oh there's some drama happening with so-and-so yeah and i have not had mm -hmm. to been pulled into that just based on yeah. sort of my little my little part of the mm -hmm. of the production well that's, well, that's so. well, yeah that's good and there are a lot of directors who are like hey listen i just i'm just focusing on the work come in prepared there's some folks who get it they're like okay i'm prepared and i know what i have to do and there's some folks who unfortunately may bring, you know, other parts of their lives or whatever, and you right. just have to sort of deal with that. What was the experience being an actor? I mean, you, when you were in Candide, that was a surprise. It was a pleasant surprise. <laughs> did yeah, you enjoy well, that? I did. You know, I wanted to do Candide because I really wanted to work with that music director. Michael Muhammad. Yeah. yeah we uh, had him on. Yeah. Well, he was the director. Um, oh, you're talking about – I know who you're talking about. Um, he's from – he's – uh, Moshler, David Moshler. That's right. Yeah, I really, I had heard a lot about him, and I really wanted to work with him. And you know, my background is more classical yes. style singing, which of course is Candide. So mm -hmm. I came in to audition, um, and uh, I figured, you know, I would get to be able to sing in an ensemble. I actually got called back for a bigger part, which really surprised me. I didn't get it, so I yeah. wasn't surprised about that. Yeah, and that was f actually fine with me because I really wanted to do ensemble. Mm -hmm. But um, 
yeah, that it would have been a long time since I'd done that kind of singing on the stage with a lot of people. So mm-hmm. that's got a great amount of joy out of that. Of course, the music's fabulous. Oh, the music was just wonderful. Um, yeah. it, it was, um, in, um, there was the sort of understudy Mm-hmm. Uh, thing that was happening with that show. So there was the yeah. one opportunity that I had to actually sing with you for, <laughs> what, the eight seconds? That's right. And um, uh, be able to sort of more do acting. Was it the El Dorado thing? Yeah. I, where I, I, have, yes. I have memory of that. You yeah. and I were like the leaders of that golden land. That's right. <laughs> and I've got the poster right there. <laughs> See in the middle there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wonderful, Indeed. wonderful memories. Yeah. So that, yeah, that was great. And then, um, yeah, I, it's interesting from the acting side, I have less interest in mm-hmm. a music theater than I do with what I'll call straight acting. Um, I'm just, I feel like I'm at this age right now, which is hard mm-hmm. to to find parts to audition for. Yeah. Um, and so I'm kind of waiting um, to s- I'm waiting for my hair to get more gray, you know, <laughs> to see if there's more interesting parts yeah. that might come. I keep checking the, yeah. you know, the auditions. But, but you do have an interest in and in, in being on stage. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, okay. it's not a, a big major uh, passion thing that I think about all the time. But I yeah. get I get that bug. I want to be up there, and I also feel like it helps me. One of the things that I've been wanting to transition more into is directing, and mm-hmm. so I've done some assistant directing. Um, uh, for the DMT mm-hmm. um, with uh, Susan Evans. Yeah. You know, I've done some things with her, with Dale um, uh, Albright. Um, but then, you know, I had the, the, those senior issues that I was telling you about that oh, came up. Okay. That's, 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 that's sort of really taken me out of, um, you know, a lot of caregiving involved. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of just I felt like I needed to kind of focus on that for a while. Yeah, so. I was going to say, I'm sure, you know, the town hall would love to have you as an assistant director. Well, you know, I have I have Susan's email. So that's right, yeah, that's and, right. And I actually haven't seen her for a while. I have to yeah. schedule another dinner with her. Now, um, I think your husband's involved in, in music as well, isn't he? Has he has been, yeah. He actually um, is more focused right now on doing composing. He does have a band, mm-hmm. the Grim Truth Band. They've been tending to do gigs in the summer out in San Francisco. Yeah. But he also, I'm looking at this beautiful setup you have here, Reg. <laughs> uh, and Ray also has a home studio. So yeah. he's uh, starting to think about doing more home studio mm-hmm. uh, um, where he, c- you know, he plays so many instruments and to try to cr- create his own music and, oh, wow. and start to do more. Tell me a love story. How did you two meet? Oh, gosh. We met <laughs> We met an opera workshop Is that at right? Cal State Hayward. Yeah. I was, you know, a, a performance major. Um, he started at San Jose State mm-hmm. and then came up to Cal State. Um I didn't – He, we were doing a Mall in the Night Visitors, and mm-hmm. so I was the mother in one cast. But that was a double cast show, and he was in the other cast. Mm. So apparently he had his eye on me. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, so that's fall. And yeah. then winter, uh-huh. uh, we started doing more scene work, and then I kind of noticed him, and I thought, you know – I. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask that guy out, uh-huh. and I was trying to figure out how to do it. Uh-huh. And but then he had the same idea, so all of a sudden, you know, the, the horizons aligned and the stars, you know, uh-huh. everything was happy, and we had our first date on April third. We still celebrate that. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, and uh, and got hitched five years later. Wow! So. And how long, how long have you guys been together? Uh, we celebrated our 20th anniversary of our first date this year and the 15th anniversary of our wedding this uh, year. Ah, that is just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like you're, you have two daughters. Uh, I do, from a first marriage. Yeah. Okay, got it, got it. And they're involved in theater? Yeah, so my eldest daughter, Liz, she lives in Salt Lake City, and um, she does 
uh, both stage theater and also she has an agent, agent so she's oh done nice. uh, some uh, um, commercial work, uh, film work. She did a little part with Steven Soderbergh, so that's oh always nice. the That Mosaic series, I don't know if people remember that. Yeah. There was some sort of thing that he did where it was like choose your own movie or something. Okay. I, I don't quite understand it. I yeah. mean, I, I understand the concept, but yeah. Uh, but she's now also getting more interested in sort of sound design, directing, the okay. sort of uh, production side of things. And okay. then my youngest daughter lives in Denver. Rebecca Sheet is the one that does the podcast. Oh, nice. Um, and, yeah, her um, – she isn't – her her activity r- right now with music and theater is singing. So she mm. sings in a choir in Denver. Yeah. Um, but her degree is in um, – theater and mm-hmm. she actually had a real interest in Shakespeare and so she oh very nice uh, you should be proud <laughs> I well I'm excited for them yeah. yeah yeah what do you think of the the state of theater now I mean you've sort of seen the Bay Area change from what it was when you were growing up to now 2019 are people um, I, there are a lot of theater companies like um, I've worked with off-Broadway West the Harders mm-hmm. and now the Harders have moved to Oregon there's the darkroom theater they're not around anymore mm-hmm. Um, is is it tough getting people, I mean, just your opinion, is it tough getting a younger generation to appreciate theater? Now that there's YouTube and Hulu and all sorts of yeah, other stuff Yeah, you know, on. that's an excellent question. Um, I, I always have found that sometimes I feel like the cost of theater mm-hmm. can be off-putting, especially for this younger generation that's having to piecemeal gig work. And, oh, sure. You know, it's very tough. Um uh, you know, as you said, with YouTube, um, there's a lot of, I think, access to music and theater. And, you know, there's there's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that you can see that's Broadway-based. Um, I'm not so – well, and I say this not having dug deeply into the music, but I feel like Broadway tends to have a very commercial approach to music. Yeah. And yeah. so it all starts kind of sounding the same. And yeah. Even yeah. No, go ahead. I was, I was going to ask you because I, I had someone, there's a newer type of musical, and I wanted to, like, there's In the Heights and Hamilton mm-hmm. and Rent, which mixes hip-hop and yes. that sort of stuff into it. And it appeals to a younger audience, but purists may say, oh, gee, why can't we have it the same way as, I don't know, Sondheim or something like that. Do you have an opinion on that? Well, I... Uh, any kind of art form is always going to change. Sure. I mean, there's definitely value in the sun time, of course. Yes. Um, but, but I think art changes, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you just want to do the best work that's available. I mean, I just went to see Hamilton. I didn't know how I was going to feel about it because I'm not – I mean, I like hip-hop, but it's not something that I listen to all the time. Sure. And that's, I don't think, an entirely correct – description of what happens in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. The amazing thing about Hamilton was all of it. You know, it was that combination of the music, the story, the acting, mm-hmm. the the set design. It was just, it was really a great theatrical experience. And yeah, so yeah. Um, uh, it's a reminder that, um, you know, f- musical theater isn't just the music. Because I had a lot of people who said, oh, I, only, you know, I first bought the album. Mm-hmm. I love the album. I listened to the album. Mm-hmm. And that's, that tends to not be what I get out of musical theater. What I get out of musical theater is being there in the space yeah. with the people around me, mm-hmm. watching that whole, the lighting, the sound, the music, the acting. Yeah. You know, even if it's a film version of musical theater, mm-hmm. it's not the same as yeah. being in that space with all those other people. Yeah. So whatever, whatever changes are happening in musical theater that we'll get, 
people in that space to be in there together with each other and mm -hmm. especially if the musical you know there's so many musicals that are starting to address experiences of people that have been marginalized in the past mm -hmm. you know and so to have those experiences brought forth through musical theater to educate to share for people to feel safe to people to be uplifted mm -hmm. i think i think that's a great thing it doesn't necessarily mean that i might like musical a or musical why right, you know, right, but right, just yeah. that it's changing it doesn't that doesn't bother me yeah I, I totally agree and as you were saying it sh it should be a visual thing I mean it should be something musical it, ha it not only has to sound great but we have to have a sort of an impact I remember the first time I was exposed to a musical it was Sweeney Todd ah, and uh, I was in my um, I was at Duke Ellington School of the Arts and we just had the record uh, playing of it this is in 1985 and I had an experience wow. there, and I was like, wow, that's fantastic. And then I got to go to New York and see Lynn Carriou do it. Mm -hmm. it. It wasn't with Angela Lansbury. Okay. It was something else. But, and of course, that was, I was like, wow, okay, this is another way of experiencing it. You're absolutely right. You have to be there. Yeah. And it's something yeah. that's totally different from, let's say, going to a movie theater mm -hmm. or, I don't know, something that you're watching from your laptop or something like that. There's something special about live theater. Yeah, there really is. I mean, a, a movie version does give you the opportunity to, to. I'm just thinking about like Les Mis, mm -hmm. um, when that movie came out. Oh, you know, yeah. You, you've got this opportunity for sets and, sure. and, and locations yeah. that you just don't have in the theatrical space. And so mm -hmm. there is... Uh, there is value in in having that opportunity to mm. do the musical theater in that different kind of way, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's when you're in that space. Yeah. yeah. One last question because we're running close to. Yeah, we got a couple of minutes. Okay. I mean, I'm enjoying myself. Um, we've had a women who are. Uh, we had Alicia von Kugelgen. I don't know if you know yes, who Alicia I von Kugelgen. Yeah. yeah, and she's been on twice, and I've had the uh, pleasure of gracing the stage with her mm -hmm. in a Civil War Christmas. And she talked about being an older actress, mm -hmm. where at one point she was a young ingenue at 20 yeah. years old and getting the leading lady, and then now she's at an age where she's getting older. And I've had other actors talk about being older and some of the frustrations. And you've talked about wanting to get onto the stage. Are you frustrated with... I don't know, age or age discrimination uh, as far as being a woman? Well, from the production side, I do absolutely feel like it still exists. Mm. I do feel like, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, for me personally, I always have that imposter syndrome. It doesn't matter how long I do things or even though there's a part of my brain that says, yeah, Mariana, you're really good at this. Yeah, of course. You know, but yeah. you just, it's hard when you don't see other people around you also doing it all the time you just yeah. feel like you know it's hard to m push yourself to get out there and do it yeah and so um uh, now from the from the um acting point of view i don't know that it's so much discrimination as it is that there's not enough parts out there that oh, are available yeah. people just write the same generational yeah. type of shows and so I'm really, I would love it if um, people could start considering more and more cross-generational stories. Again, I say this, I'm not a, a theater or music theater nerd, so for all I know, there are things like that that are yeah. more out there. But what happens is, you know, it, 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 I mean, it, as you were pointing out, the Bay mm -hmm. Area is losing theaters. It's tough. You know, yeah. it's expensive. It's hard. 
Um, and then what happens is because it costs money to run a theater company, the sure. theater companies do the same old things yeah. because they know that those are going to bring in yeah. the bucks. And they don't want to take any risks. Exactly. They don't want to take any risks. So how can we get this art to be created that's you know more cross-generational? That means there are more parts for marginalized communities mm -hmm. for them to go out and audition for. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I appreciate People like Susan Evans, who will bring in a Carol Churchill piece because mm -hmm. she knows that she can bring in women. We did yes. Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which focused on middle-aged women mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. central characters. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, those That's issues. Yeah. And That's an important thing to do as, as an artistic director. Yes. Absolutely. And there should be more artistic directors who will focus on not just bringing crowds in, but also diversity. Because actors, I mean, I'm getting up there at age as well. Mm. You know, there's not going to be a lot of roles for me, you know, um, so, so you know, there's hope. Are you, are you optimistic? I mean, are you frustrated or optimistic? Have you thought about venturing elsewhere? Um, I don't want to be fr frustrated. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody was telling me as we had this sort of recent senior thing that I'm the um, – uh, I'm not the Debbie Downer. I'm the I'm the positive one, you know. Right, so right. no matter what the situation is, what can we do here mm -hmm. to stay positive? And so I want to stay positive. Yeah. Um, uh, and and I would rather be sort of well. What if this is the problem? What can we do to solve it? Sure. And so it's what it's and and it is individuals. It's people like Susan who are saying, you know, what are the plays that I can do that are. Um, highlighting a different group of the mm -hmm. actors than normally would get parts. Yeah. It takes that kind of courage um, and ability and grant writing, yes, you know, if right, you're not right. having to rely on your audience mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, ticket uh, sales. Right. That that's what it takes to have those kinds of uh, uh, theater happening. Mm -hmm. And I think this, you know, that's a smaller space that they have out there, which I think is helpful. It's harder when you're running a really big theatrical space and you know you've got to fill those seats. You yeah. want to, you just end up being more conservative. Well, can you pick one show in your season <laughs> right, that right. may be the season holders mm -hmm. and give your audience some credit? You know, they do want to see something different. They mm -hmm. do want to see something that will challenge them and make them think. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, th I think sometimes we don't give our audiences enough credit. Yeah, you know, you think of a demographic. Well, you know, say, you know, we're in Hayward, so it's a conservative white audience, so they just want to see that. Not necessarily true. Correct. I think that's the case. Yeah. Right. A year ago, I, uh, I wrote a play, Four Men in Paris, and we had mm -hmm. a very nice audience at the Douglas Morrison Theater. And it was about the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. It was about, you know, black writers, black expatriates. And um, so you're absolutely right. The audience, you know, don't, don't undermine the audience. You know, mm -hmm. they can take you know, um, subject matters which are completely different from yeah. what you would think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm going to point out some birthdays. There's some birthdays, uh, as me and Norman usually do. A wonderful actor, Alan Manalo, um, he is uh, originally from, uh, he works out of Bindlestiff Studios. His birthday is today. He's a fantastic actor and producer. So I want to say happy birthday to um, Alan also, Friday, um, Melvin Badiola. Uh, we've had him on, and he's a fantastic actor. His birthday was yesterday. Also yesterday, Jay Cronengold. Uh, you Happy know Jay. Birthday, Jay. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jay. He is an actor. He's a singer. And I believe he sings at a choir as well. I'm trying to remember what choir it is. I can't remember. Um, an old um, high school friend of mine who's an actress, Miracle Dawn Austin, her birthday is was Friday. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, Wednesday, Davern Wright. He's a fantastic actor. I've worked with him at Bindlestiff. 
but he's been doing a lot of other things as well. So his birthday will be uh, Wednesday. And another acting friend of mine who graduated from Duke Ellington, Ara Zeitz, he is, uh, his birthday will be Thursday. And that is all that I have, and I'm going to point out some shows. Um, there is um, Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson at the Custom Made Theater. That will be um, opening September 27th. That, that did open September 27th. That will close October 17th. Nick Mandrakia, a fantastic actor and singer, uh, he, uh, we've had him on. I acted with him uh, when we did uh, Civil War Christmas. So um, s come check out Bloody Buddy Andrew Jackson. Also, Bright Star, which is uh, playing at the CCCT. That opened October the 4th yesterday, and it closes October 27th. A good friend of mine, Paul Plain, is in that. Also, Dance Nation. That is open since September the 24th. It closes November the 9th at SF Playhouse. A good friend of mine, Crystal Piemonte Zhang, is in that. And Next to Normal, uh, Plethos Productions, they are doing that. That'll open November the 8th through the 24th, and I'll have links to that as well. Mariana, did you have a good time? I <laughs> did, Reg. It's great to see you. It's great to see you again, and uh, you've been fantastic as a musical director. I mean, it's, it's always uh, you've always had a smile on your face, and you've always been very upbeat and positive, you know, working with you, and uh, we've had some great productions. Oh, yeah, so well, thank you so much. Absolutely. All right, here is my blurb. You can find the Yay on the Apple Podcast app on all iPhones and iPads. You're listening to it now, but tell your friends. Also, we're on Spotify, so check that out. If you're an old stogie like me and you listen to your podcast on a laptop or a desktop, a lot of the young kids, they don't even look, look at laptops or desktops anymore. Everything's done on the phone. But if you do look at it, listen to your podcast on a laptop or a desktop, you can listen to um, the Yay on iTunes. Just click on the store, click on the search engine on the upper right-hand side and search for the Yay, you'll find us. If you're an Android user, you can download the SoundCloud app or just go on SoundCloud.com and you'll find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. I'm at Reg Space Clay. Norman is at Hoosier Hoosier. I'm Mariana, do you use... Uh, uh, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, I any do of that not. Stuff? I'm an old-timey <laughs> person. <laughs> well, you can find Mariana Wolf on um, Facebook. I am on Facebook. If you're looking for a musical director or if you're looking for an actress, uh, Mariana Wolf, I totally recommend her. And we got to find a better sign-off. And we are out. Out.